Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy, and our guest today is Mike Cox. Mike Cox is a renowned attorney in the state of Michigan, former attorney general for the state of Michigan. He has devoted his career and his lifetime to seeking justice, done a great job with that. And today we're going to drill down a little bit on Camp Lejeune and what the heck's going on with the water there. Mike, welcome to the Common Bridge. It's always good to see you. Rich, it's great seeing you again. It's been a little while since we've done some hockey games, but it's good talking to you. Indeed. Well, I was down at the Wings last night and they played well, but they just played a better team in the Edmonton Oilers. And it's still my passion. Yeah. But we're due. We're way overdue. Yeah. Mike, our audience likes to know a little bit about our guests. So if you could run through maybe, you know, where'd you grow up and what were some of your early experiences and uh, how'd you end up in the attorney general's office? Uh, well, I uh, I grew up over by Rouge Park on the west side of Detroit and the and, in Redford and kind of a neighborhood like yours, Rich. You know, it was all working class folks. My dad was a carpenter. Everyone had six or seven kids stuck in a 975 foot square house. And it was a great, great American middle class upbringing. And uh, 18, I was uh, a little lost, a little disoriented, uh, knew I wasn't ready for college and decided to run away and join the Marines. And I have to tell you, it was the best decision, I've, it was second best decision I ever made after marrying my wife. But it uh, turned my life around, gave me direction. I was what we call a grunt. I was an infantryman. So I ran around with a with a rifle for three years, traveled the world, had a great time. And it really gave me the ability to, to focus and have discipline. Uh, when I went to college, I went to University of Michigan and went there for undergrad law school. And from there, I became a prosecutor. I was, uh, I was a career prosecutor for 13 years in the city of Detroit and Wayne County. And in fact, uh, I worked for three different bosses. My last boss was the current mayor, Mike Duggan, and I ran all the homicide prosecutions there. We had, uh, sadly, we had 14 lawyers who that's all we did all day long was homicide trials. Uh, but it was great training, uh, great training to become attorney general eventually. But it was, it was uh, as crazy as it sounds, it was a fun and great job. Fun in the sense of the camaraderie you have. It was much like being in the Marine Corps again. Uh, you kind of feel like you're in the trenches. Uh, kind of like when you were building your business, Rich, you know, with you with your core team. Yes. And uh, and we're out every day doing good. And we generally have people, we encounter them at the worst times of their lives, family members right after a murder. By the time, uh, you know, the trial worked its way out, generally we built relationships and people were in a better spot. And so one day in 2000, I'd just been on court TV. And I got a call from a Republican Party official, and I've been involved in helping Republicans at the point. And they said, you ought to run for attorney general. And at the time, it looked like Jennifer Granholm was going to run again. And uh, instead, she ran for governor. 
And I kind of came out of nowhere. I beat Gary Peters in November of 2002. And uh, I had a great eight-year run, met great people like you. And, you know, we did a same thing. It was just like, it was just like being in the Marines again. It was just like being a homicide prosecutor. It was just like the work we're doing now for Marines at Camp Lejeune. Uh, it was like a team building, esprit de corps, you know, going out there and fighting the good fight every day. And, you know, I think we did a lot of great things as attorney general, whether it was going after unpaid child support from both errant fathers and mothers, believe it or not, uh, to fighting with Blue Cross for health care uh, rate payers, uh, to, you know, f- fighting with uh, the federal government over Asian carp and, and getting things in place to protect their Great Lakes. Uh, so it's been a great ride long before I came to private practice. So this quest for justice and for fair treatment, speaking up for the middle class and the lower economic people, for people that have faced the worst tragedies of losing a loved one to homicide, you've built that over decades now. And I understand you've just gotten through a very publicized lawsuit with some other victims. Are you at liberty to mention that at all today? Yes. So, uh, I think many, most people in America heard about Larry Nasser and what he did to the gymnasts at Michigan State. Yes. Well, unfortunately, in my alma mater, during the time that I was there, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, U of M had its own team physician, Dr. Robert Anderson, who was abusing athletes and, and some non-athletes in, in the course of medical treatment. And it was all happening in the exam room, in the guise of medical treatment. And I won't go in, into the horrible detail of some of the things he did, but he took advantage of the situation, went on for literally decades, Rich, from the late 60s up to 2000. Uh, so I was one of the three lawyers, one of the three lead lawyers who settled with the University of Michigan for $460 million, 1,080 uh, men and women, some women, mostly men, were involved. Uh, I personally represented a, uh, just shy of 200 and that rich grew out of friendships. You know, uh, when I was there, I, I, I cooked for a while as at U of M, I cooked for a while to support myself and get through undergrad as a cook. And long story short, I met some wrestlers and through them met some guys who played football, kept in touch over the years. And when a story came out of kind of exposing the Detroit News in 2020, uh, about his secret investigation U of M had done into this guy, which they hadn't revealed to anyone. It kind of broke this wide open. And I think uh, I feel great about it because, quite frankly, I helped my friends. I met a, a lot of great guys my age, your age, who had struggled emotionally and mentally, uh, but hit it for all these years uh, from the abuse of Dr. Anderson. And uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I had a lot of middle-aged crying men in my office and, uh, you know, it, it's when I used to do young kids who were abused sexually, that was, you know, 30 years ago, that was, that was horrible. Uh, but I was an adult and here I was adults and it, it's the same sort of trauma, people my age, uh, trying to put the pieces back together. Uh, and, you know, so the money was important. In the sense that it showed that the institution was acknowledging and changing what they were doing. Uh, but the most important thing for a lot of these guys was just the fact that U of M 
had to come to grips to what it did as an institution. And so I, I count that as one of the, the great triumphs of my career. It was a three-year process. We're almost done. Our clients are soon uh, uh, to get their damages. And uh, it's a good day. And I think U of M, you know, with the new president, they're on a better track. Uh, I think there's more they, that needs to be done there. But they've made some steps because of our lawsuit. It's ironic, you know, that a lawsuit based on what happened 30 years ago is going to help the university kids today. But uh, it's something that my clients should feel proud of. And I think all the lawyers involved should feel proud of as well. And anyone that's been a victim of sexual abuse or knows somebody that's been a victim of sexual abuse, no matter what age, it's a permanent stain. It is. Um, It is permanently weakening to the other, to the victims. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to know you and your fight for justice for those victims which brings us to our topic of the day about right. Camp Lejeune. And what most people understand about Camp Lejeune, they see ads saying there's a opportunity if you've lived or worked or been a member of the Marine Corps at Camp Lejeune for a real long period, I think going back to the 1950s, about contaminated drinking water. Maybe we can start at the beginning. What happened with the water and when did they discover it? And what are some of the health impacts and and how has this come to be an issue today? I mean, it just seems horrible that we've let something go for 70 years. Yeah, I, you know, Rich, it's really stunning to me because uh, one of my one of my duty stations, I was in Camp Lejeune uh, and Okinawa. I went back and forth between Camp Lejeune and Okinawa. I was in the 2nd Marine Division, which is headquartered in Camp Lejeune. I was a uh, rifleman then in the infantry and I was... I was with a group called the 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines, uh, which was a proud history in defending our country. And uh, so I was there in 82 and 83, and that was toward the end. And soon after that, the Marine Corps and Department of Navy addressed issues that were starting to arise then while I was there drinking water. You know, uh, Marines drink a ton of water. And it sounds crazy, but uh, and it, it's it's not like this new thing where, uh, you know, it's trendy. You got to drink a gallon a day, right? And, and, which we all try to do now, right? But when you're out in the field, you know, especially in the training in the hot sun in Camp Lejeune, you know, you're always parched and you're always drinking. Working in the mess hall, if you're a cook, you know, the steam actually and the contaminants in the water would actually get into your into your bloodstream quicker. So getting back to your question, so what happened? So in uh, 52, 53, literally during the end of the Korean War, uh, a a couple things kind of converged, all came together. One was there was uh, uh, Marines like to be spit and polished, right? We like to look sharp in our dress blues when we're not in the field. So there was a huge dry cleaning operation on base. And uh, was there? It was a twenty-four hour dry cleaning, if you can imagine it. And it was on the corner of Holcomb, right in the middle of the base. And back in that time, like a lot of gas stations and and other dry, they took their fluids and dumped it right in the grass behind them. So it was dry cleaning fluid, dumping of gas from trucks, leaks of oil, uh, the the cleansing cleaners that we used to clean our weapons with. That all went in the ground. And in campus, it was very sandy. And so the water ran into drinking wells, eight of them, and ultimately, excuse me, a hundred, and ultimately 
led to four different kinds of poisons being ingested between 80, uh, 52 and 87. And it's created perhaps, uh, crime of the century is the wrong thing, but perhaps negligence, uh, abuse, uh, gross incompetence uh, of, of a massive scale that's ultimately reached hundreds of thousands of Marines, sailors, corpsmen, uh, family members for years. I mean, the, Camp Lejeune always has thirty to 40,000 active duty Marines there. A lot of them are married. A lot of them had young children. And the young children, you know, it was obviously more toxic to them. Uh, and there was a thing on base called Baby Heaven, Rich, if you think about that. So you have young Marines and their wives and, and some Marine women and their husbands having children who were dying at rates above the national average. And no one ever put it together until the late 80s. And they finally addressed it. The EPA made it a actually a, a toxic Superfund site in 1987. And last year, uh, a bipartisans, Republicans and Democrats decided to do something about it and created the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. So that anyone who spent at least 30 days in Camp Lejeune, whether you're a civilian or not, between 52 and 87 is eligible if you have a, one of a number of presumptive diseases. And they range from liver, a bladder. Hodgkin's cancers to not Parkinson's to infertility to male breast cancer. Uh, the information's out there on the web, or if anyone wants to call our office or, or look us up. Uh, but anyone who served who's ailing now, uh, in, in addition to going to the VA uh, and going that process, you, you should also talk to a lawyer to look at a claim. Uh, because Congress, bipartisan way, which doesn't happen too often these days, right? Your your, your show is about b- building bridges, crossing bridges, having society work together like we used to. In a bipartisan way, President Biden and the Republicans in the Senate and the Republicans and Democrats in the House passed this because it was so horrendous. They Five different government studies have shown that the rates of these diseases are off the charts compared to the American public compared to Marines who are at Camp Pendleton or over in Okinawa or Army uh, soldiers who are at Fort Bragg. Something about the, the conduct on the base in terms of the neglect, ignorance about disposal of environmental toxic uh, fluids, but, but also the groundwater and, and the particular geography and geology of that part of North Carolina all converge uh, to make for what is this horrendous uh, uh, medical uh, issue that we have today. This is obviously an environmental disaster of mass proportions. And if people don't think that environmental laws is critical to our future, think about this happening in 10 places or 100 places. You could severely limit humankind's progress. Mike, my understanding is that this was such a disaster that it really outran the civil justice system because of statutes of limitations. Then the Navy had an opportunity to respond, but they didn't. And so this is why the act was put into place. Can you take our listeners and our viewers and our readers through that, how this played out through the legal system and if there's any time limit on making a claim today? Yeah, Rich, uh, and, and you know, uh, anyone who was in the Marines, or is, we're, we're never out of the Marines. We're always a Marine, right? Mm-hmm. We never say ex-Marine. We always say we're a former Marine. Uh, 
there is this idea of leave no one behind and the, the term esprit de corps of brotherhood, whether you're a woman Marine or a male Marine. And that was violated here. Uh, a series of base commanders uh, in the in the 70s and 80s, uh, and then folks up the, high, the chain of command in the Department of Navy, Department of Defense, were aware of these problems, really poo-pooed it, and really kind of experimented. And uh, people like myself and the guys in my squad, in my platoon, in my company, in my battalion were a little bit of lab rats. Uh, and thankfully, nothing has happened to me, but I have friends from that time who've reached out to me uh, and we're representing them. And and it was, um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to explain given the marine ethic, right? It violates the marine ethic what happened here. Uh, but that sometimes happens in human behavior. So you're asking, uh, you know, when can you file? Well, if if you were in, on Camp Lejeune for at least 30 days, it just has to be 30 days during that period from 1952 to 1987. If you're on base for at least 30 days, so you could have been a reservist who go there for two weeks in the summer, a couple of summers. You could have been temporarily stationed there. You, you could have been a dependent. You could have been a civil civilian employee. Any of those things. And um, you have between now and two years from when the bill was signed on August 10th of 2022. So you have from now until August of 2024. And what happens is you retain an attorney who's doing these cases. The attorney filed by, by statute, by what con Congress passed, they give a period of time for the Department of Navy to settle with the victims. And so there's a six-month period after you file a claim that the Navy can try and settle the case. If not, then it's, it will be filed in federal court in North Carolina. Uh, but getting back to the point, so it's anyone who served at least 30 days from 52 through the end of 87, uh, it had to be at least 30 days, and uh, you have two years to file. But of course, like anything else, you don't want to wait. Exactly. Well, let me play that back. So presume I'm a Marine that served during that time period, 1975, just to right. pick a date. And I have Hodgkin's disease. And like firefighters, there are certain conditions that are presumed to be caused by right. that environment and exposure to those chemicals. So a couple of questions here. First, can I go to just any lawyer that I find on the net and say, hey, I need an attorney to go file this and then would the claim be filed with the federal government or with a court? Okay, two great questions. So there are a lot of good lawyers doing this, uh, including myself, right? Uh, uh, but you want to get someone who's had experience in, in what these are called mass torts, where there's a series of individual cases, victims who have a number of different uh, damages, injuries, who are all hurt by the same uh, actor, uh, like U of M, you know, or Larry, you know, Michigan State, Nasser, or in this case, uh, you know, the federal government and the Marines and sailors at Camp Lejeune. Uh, there's a number of us uh, in Michigan and across the country. Do your due diligence. Uh, you can always call our office for information. Uh, and uh, if we're not the right attorney for you, go somewhere else. But do a little investigation, see if they've done these cases before. S second piece is what happens then? So get a lawyer that you're comfortable with, that you feel is going to advocate for your interests and fight hard for you. 
Once you do that, that lawyer will file what's called an administrative claim. And that 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 administrative claim, it's not a full-born lawsuit at that point. It's an administrative claim. Like I said, Congress set this up so they're going to give the Navy the first bite at trying to resolve cases early on. Okay, So you're going to file an administrative claim. That will go to the Naval Judge Advocate General Corps, Navy JAG, for those folks who watch all these shows on, on, on CBS and ABC, right? So the Navy JAG Corps, working with Department of Justice, gets the first bite to try and resolve it. And if it can't be resolved, then your lawyer, there's a six-month period, then your lawyer has uh, can then file a case in federal court in the Eastern District of North Carolina. A couple things on timing, Rich. Uh, this takes a while to get your case started. For instance, uh, you know, one of my very first guys uh, that we signed up served in 67 to 69, got drafted. Uh, fortunately for him, only spent a month in Vietnam and then was sent to J- Japan but and was a truck driver. And he, then he ended up uh, back for seven months in Camp Lejeune. So he is 72-ish, 73, and he's had different health issues, some of them arguably related to Camp Lejeune. So we had to get medical records. It takes quite a while to get medical records. And a lot of guys our age can't always remember everywhere we went. So uh, it takes a little bit of a time. And so that's the biggest part. And, and generally what we do is we get the medical records in. Uh, we have staff, nurses who will look at him. And, and then we'll, we'll get an expert opinion from MDs, oncologists, and then we'll, we'll file a claim. And that's that's what the uh, that's kind of like the best practice. That takes some time. So we we tell all these Marines, look, this problem was fifty years in the making. You got to give us a little time, uh, but we're we're going to get it done for you and help you cross the line and and help yourself uh, or your family. Uh, you know, if something happens, you God forbid, because a lot of the, a lot of my folks are you know stage four cancer, liver and bladder cancer, mm-hmm. and they're doing it for their family. And uh, and I should I should let people know, like in the regular civil world, uh, like if you were if you or I were killed in a car accident, right, on Washtenaw or or seventy five or ninety four here in Michigan, all likely locations for that too. By the way, <laughs> yes, 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 and and so if 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 we met that unfortunate event. Our families could file a wrongful death lawsuit if someone was was at fault, right? And in the same way, uh, if your father or your brother or your uncle or your sibling uh, was at Camp Lejeune for at least 30 days and had one of the illnesses that are presumptive, you can file a wrongful death lawsuit. Uh, and and uh, that's a pro- proper, appropriate, that's, that's the way it's been in in uh, English law for six, seven hundred years now, since the Middle Ages, and so it's not just it's not just for folks like me who might, you know, develop a an injury or illness. It can also be if you had a loved one uh, who died as a result mm-hmm. of an illness that arose because of their time at Camp Lejeune. Would that wrongful death also first be filed as an administrative claim yes. with the Navy JAG? Yes. All right. So it seems to me that filing an administrative claim with the Navy JAG is a special skill. I don't know very many lawyers that have actually 
had that experience. So would that be something someone should look for in an attorney? Absolutely. It, it, uh, I can't say it can't be learned, Rich, but you want someone who's had experience dealing with big institutions, right? Or, or had experience with the military. Right. Well, absolutely. Any bureaucracy, navigating the bureaucracy is a skill set. Yes. So, Mike, my understanding now, the way you've described it is there's an injured Marine or a family member. They first step in the process is there's an administrative claim with the Navy's legal arm, so to speak. Is the Navy settling any of these suits in that administrative process? Uh, not yet, Rich. Uh, I, I anticipate it will happen. I should mention this because it comes up a lot when people call our office. The fact that you're getting VA benefits doesn't preclude you from filing a lawsuit. Okay. And Congress, when the, and, and the president, when they sign the bill, it says that in there. Okay. Sometimes other vets tell their friends, no, you can't do both. You absolutely can. And, and we'll explain that process. So that's important to keep in mind. So is, is the Navy settling any cases yet? Not yet. Uh, as you can imagine, this this all passed at the end of August, as just four months ago. And quite frankly, the Navy was, they had some advance notice as it worked its way through Congress, but they have to set up their own bureaucracy. In fact, they're hiring, I've, I've heard the Department of Justice hired over a, 100 new lawyers to help the Navy JAG process these, because uh, there, are, there are already some, uh, tens of thousands of claims filed. Uh, and so it's it's going to be an evolved process, a hard process, hard fault, especially for the more serious cases. And people need a little patience. But but it's one of these times where, in a bipartisan way, the Congress and the president agreed to try and rectify a grave wrong. And if you've been wronged, you should enter the process and, and check it out. Well, you know, Mike, not to be overly pessimistic about it, but I'm kind of trying to do some of the timelining on this and presume I am a early Vietnam or late Korean War veteran right. and I have been exposed and I'm ill. So I might be in my mid 70s to my early 80s. And now I go and I have to gather all the medical records, build a case. There's a period of months then the administrative claim is filed and the Navy gets a period of time to try to settle that. And then I have to get in line behind perhaps hundreds of thousands of people in a federal case in the Eastern District of North Carolina. I'm going to be dead before I get my day in court. It just seems like it's going to overwhelm that court in North Carolina. And these are all going to get adjudicated individually, hundreds of thousands of cases? Yes. A, a couple of things. You, you bring up some great points. And, and I think of it because, uh, you know, when my dad immigrated to the United States in 49, he got drafted right away. And he didn't go in the Marines. He went in the Army. So he fought in Korea and got out in 52, right, when these problems started. So my dad's going to be 95 next month, right? Mm. So mm. at the high end, uh, there are people as old as 90, 91, 92, right? from the early 50s. On the low end, it goes down. So I'm 61. Uh, if you were there in 87 and you're 18, uh, you know, that's like you're 53 or 54. So the band yeah. is people 53, 54 up to like 90. So you're right. It, the process will take some time to work its way out. But a couple observations, you know, someone in the Marines who is in the Marines, you know, is hurry up and wait, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we got used to. 
and you wait in line a lot uh, to to get the right thing done. And the way, uh, like I said, some of my older clients think about it, you know, I have clients in their 80s, some in very poor health, some in good health. And their their view is, you know, when I'm buried, I'm going to have a Marine Corps detachment there that give me a 21 gun salute. And that's part of my service as a Marine. Uh, And my family is going to be part of that. And the Marine Corps is going to honor my service. But my filing a claim, and if it comes to my family after I'm gone, that will be another recognition by my government of my service and what and what horrible thing happened to me from my own government during my service. And my family will be in, not only enjoy the lessons I learned as a Marine, but perhaps uh, a recognizable award to my family members after me. So, you know, again, not everyone has that mindset, but a lot of these Marines are they live their lives not about themselves, right? They join the Marines because they wanted to serve someone other than themselves or they want to be part of a bigger cause. So for a lot of my older Marines, it's like, you know, I want to I want to register what happened to me for the other Marines I served with, for my family and for our community, and our country. So this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And so a lot of them just view this is just another way to serve once again. Mike, I love the way you put that. And, and I'm thinking about this 34-year period from 1953 to 87, or is it 35 from 52 to 87? Uh, yeah, 52 to 87. Is there any defense that said, you know, in 1955, we didn't know that putting dry cleaning compounds into the soil was a bad thing? Or does that liability last no matter what under environmental law? Well, under the Camp Lejeune uh, Justice Act of 2022, which was part, part, passed as part of the, uh, the burn pit legislation last year to help protect Iraq and, if, and, and uh, or primarily Iraq veterans like my daughter, who was a corporal over in Fallujah, um, this, the, the federal government admitted liability. So that, that it's, they say we have no defense at least for the 14 presumptive diseases. Uh, there are other diseases that I and other lawyers are funding research on that, that may ultimately end up in a settlement. Uh, but the federal government gave up liability on the presumptive diseases. And, and so there is no defense on that. It's really a matter of damages at that point. So as, as you said at the front end of this process, it's, if your medical records say you have one of these presumptive diseases, there is basically an acknowledgement by the federal government that they did cause that. And then how do they calculate the damages and does it differ from individual to individual? It, it will differ from individual to individual. For instance, I'm right now I'm working in an office, right? And hopefully it's not any toxic uh, exposure I'm getting right now. But like my, my dad was a carpenter and then later worked at Ford. So he was in plants, he was in docks. And so in his life, he developed asbestosis uh, in certain work settings, right? And he's fine, you know, he's, he's uh, but my point being is the federal government, their lawyers will say, well, let's look at your work life, see if there are other contributing causes. That may impact some of the damages, but that's why you need the right lawyer to fight for you and, and present the, the counter argument. Uh, but again, there's no money out of pocket, even if you're getting VA benefits. Uh, for If nothing else, peace of mind, it makes sense to investigate. 
Great. And you have a website? Uh, it's really simple. It's just MikeCoxLaw.com. M-I-K-E-C-O-X-L-A-W.com. Or just put in my name on the internet and, and it'll pop up. And I know that you know there are other great attorneys out there sure. um, that are, are doing this work. But Mike, I think this explanation that you've been so generous with your time explaining to our readers, listeners, and viewers is important because some people say, oh, I'm getting annoyed by the Camp Lejeune ads. I did a show a while back said, thank God campaign season's over because of the incessant <laughs> ads. And somebody commented, yeah, now if we can get rid of the Camp Lejeune ads. But yeah. um, this is a real issue affecting real people and that there's a real solution out there and we need to get the word out. And I think this program will do it. As we move to our close today, is there anything that we didn't cover or any closing comments you'd like to share with our audience? Rich, great questions as always. I think you covered the topic very well. The bottom line is don't just get annoyed with an ad. Check it out, right? Do a little call somebody. Doesn't have to be me. Love it to be me, but call somebody and check it out. If you were one of the million people who lived, worked or, uh, at Camp Lejeune during the 52 to 87. Uh, our federal government has recognized they did a great wrong to you, and, and you should step up and and let that be acknowledged. And with that, I thank you very much for the great job that you do every day. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, very much. Um, and I appreciate your taking the time because I know you're really busy with that constant pursuit of justice. So for our listeners, our readers, our viewers, if you or perhaps a family member, a friend that may have been exposed, please have a listen, make your decision and reach out and get help. We honor your service. You literally put your lives on the line and we as a country owe it to you. And with our guest, Mike Cox, this is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.